welcome to the Nature Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Terry Vanderheiden. It's beautiful out here. We've got, uh, since all the water we had in California this year, we're having a nice long spring. All the hills are still green. There's a lot of growth out here. A lot of uh, everything's green along the trail. Now with the soft light, it's really beautiful ferns and there's actually some poison oak, but still looks good from a distance where you got uh, just the light coming through and soft green everywhere on the hills. It's awesome. And for uh, for May, that's a pretty good that's a pretty good thing because a lot of times by this time of the year, it's everything's starting to turn brown and we're starting to be concerned about the next fire season coming up so this part's great you know, it's fun just to stand in one spot and listen to all the birds and all the activity it's a regular park so people are out here hiking this is midweek so there's not as many people out here right now few airplanes going overhead. I'm out at a local park just with my Nikon Z9 and my 4028TC. Trying something a little bit different here. I'm not bringing any sort of support with me. I've always had a tripod and and if not, I'm bringing a monopod or something. But today, I'm going bareback. Just camera and lens. This is about as light of a long lens setup as you can get. The new Z lenses are lightweight as they can be. And if you rotate the lens collar around with the foot pointing up to the sky, then it's pretty comfortable to hold uh, by just letting the lens barrel rest in your hand. But I gotta tell you, I can't hold it in one place very long. For a quick shot of something where you raise your camera up and start shooting or to follow something, it works pretty well. But if you're holding the camera in one place, such as waiting for a hawk to launch out of a tree, it's not so fun. While the vibration reduction in this camera keeps things pretty steady, it can be a bit hard on the arms and shoulders to keep it, the lens trained on something for very long. I like to sometimes just sit and wait for action. I'm not a big fan of of chasing wildlife. I, I'd rather determine their path and go up ahead and wait for them or find a nest and know that they'll be coming back to that. But that's a subject for a total different podcast. Today I want to talk about the subject that doesn't get touched on quite enough and this pertains to mostly your wildlife images and the topic is backgrounds. Hopefully you all know that uh, if you'd like to contact me, I'm available at uh, terry at imagelight.com. That's spelled T-E-R-R-Y at I-M-A-G-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. You can always email me. I'm help, happy to answer questions. I also can be found over at YouTube by simply searching at TV510. I have a lot of videos over there, and you might find it worth subscribing to the channel. Also, if you want to support the Nature Photography Podcast, I have products over for sale at my website at imagelight.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes as well. 
Now back to this episode's subject, and that's backgrounds. The background of your image can be easily overlooked because you're riveted by the wildlife subject you have in the viewfinder. But I think this is a good starting point. Since your primary goal is photographing wildlife, you many times don't have the luxury of opting for a different background. A couple of months ago, I was in Florida where I met up with a wildlife photographer, Michael Stolzman. And he was generous enough to show me a spot to photograph great blue herons who had recently had some great blue heron chicks. So it was a pretty cool scene. At this spot, the Audubon Rookery in Venice, Florida, was essentially an island that was only about 20 or 30 yards from the shore. The morning light rises up behind you and illuminates all the birds that are gathered there on that island. When I get into a situation like this, I look for the light direction first. And since it was early morning, I knew that the morning sun would rise up behind me. So the shoreline was the spot of choice for me to be standing. Truthfully, I didn't have much choice in the backgrounds, but I lucked out as the backgrounds were dark trees about 50 yards behind the subjects that were on the island. It's this the area that I'd like to talk about, the distance between the subject and the background. Since most of us are using long lenses for our wildlife work, this distance between the subject and the background is very important for the success of our images. As most of you know, a long lens will compress the background with the subject. It'll appear to be much closer than it is in reality. So with this in mind, the background could become a distraction. Since we're using long glass, only a slight move from right to left with our camera could give us all that we're looking for, for a decent background. It only takes a second to make that adjustment and really improve what's in the background. As the background falls farther away from the subject, it'll also fall farther out of focus with the long lenses. In the case of the blue herons, they were nesting on an island. While I could move left or right as needed, I couldn't get any closer, and I couldn't move to an angle that would capture the background that was much farther away. With the super fast long lenses like the 400 f2.8 and the 600 f4, that shallow depth of field appears like a creamy blurred background. As you get into lenses that are not quite as fast, say a 400 f4.5, then you don't get the benefit of that super blurred background. Which is another way of saying if you have a long lens and you're shooting wildlife, shoot it wide open. Don't stop it down for more depth of field. You'll benefit more often than not with more blurred backgrounds that'll feature your subject a lot better than you will benefit by having more depth of field. If you're focusing on the eye that's closest to you, you're gonna be fine. Now the size of the subject matter does make a difference. If you're shooting a small bird, say a goldfinch, then your depth of field will be shallow. It'll be about the width of the, the body of a bird. So if you get the eye in focus, you'll likely get most of the bird in focus. And your background will improve by being smoother and more out of focus. Oh, hang on, that's a red tail hawk. Let me get this. Oh, he just went behind a tree. 
Yeah, he's gone. I think it was a red shoulder hawk, not a red tail hawk. Uh, any rate, um, I like shooting this this mirrorless on silent. I've been doing this for a while now, and in the past, where you know I would have my DSLR and I'd fire away, you'd get the shutter sound, which you know is something that I kind of got used to, and I was trying to uh, work my way out of having that sound. And I, I've kind of I've kind of done it to some some respect. When you're shooting wildlife, if you can be more silent, you know, the wildlife's gonna hang around a bit longer. So not obviously in that case, but in most cases that's gonna be better. So if you're shooting mirrorless, try shooting silent and get used to it. I know you, that most of us prefer to have that audible sound of a click. And the very first time I did it, I ended up with a whole ton of images because I was still waiting to hear the click and I was shooting 20 frames a second. So. You can burn up a lot more images, but just get a bigger card if that's what you need to do. So I think it's a good idea to try to wean yourself off of the, the sound of the shutter firing. I think, it, uh, I think it's gonna help in your photography. And, and I was shooting some birds a while back and they were fairly close to me. And any noise, any movement I made really set them off. So having that thing on silent, I think really helped in that case. So back to the subject of backgrounds. If you're out shooting larger games, say deer or moose or something like that with the same long lens, your background options change. The farther back you go, the more background comes into focus. And even shooting like an F2.8 lens with a long telephoto lens, that means that when you're shooting a larger subject, you're not able to get that super soft background. Now it will be softer than a, a slower lens, but it's not gonna be super creamy blurred out. This is where positioning of the photographer makes a difference. First of all, let's review how to get that shallow depth of field. Most of you guys know this, but a simple little rule of thumb is put less distance between you and the subject and more distance between the subject and the background. In this example, if the moose is standing three feet in front of some small trees, in this scenario, the trees would be about as in focus as the moose. There's many times where this outcome is just simply unavoidable. The subject is where it is, and that's it. However, if you move to the left or right, even a little bit, maybe that next set of trees might be 40 feet behind the animal. Now your lens is going to do a better job of making that background softer and thereby less distracting. So my first thought is to shoot the subject, no matter the light, no matter the background. After you captured a few good images, then start assessing your backgrounds. See if you can improve. Can you find a better background in this scenario? Maybe move a little bit left or right or possibly forward or even backward to include more environment to show the habitat of the animal. Like, can you move to an angle that'll put the background farther in the distance and then making it more blurry and less distracting? That might be a possibility. Next, I'd like to talk about vertical movement. It seems that the consensus for intimate wildlife images is shooting at eye level or just below the eye level of your subject. That this is probably the best angle you want to try to shoot for. Obviously, this isn't uh, always optimum. Uh, think of a bird in the tree. Are you going to be climbing a tree next to the bird and try to get a better angle? That's pretty unlikely. However, what you can also do is grab your longest lens and move back. 
With a long lens, the further back you are from the subject, the shorter the angle becomes. And it might appear that you're closer to eye level than you really are. This is not a perfect solution, but it, it might be able to help. Now, hang on one second, I have my camera strapped tangled with my microphone, so just give me a second. Tell you what, we'll talk more about backgrounds after the break. I'm back in the studio to record this section. Let me know if you like this departure of me broadcasting from location rather than here in the sound studio where the background sounds are kept to a minimum. I thought it might be a little different for the listener to get more of an immersive experience from time to time by bringing you with me into the outdoors. As a professional photographer, probably the single most important thing to me is sharpness in my images. Getting sharp images in my nature photography is critical. And not just acceptably sharp, but razor sharp. So much so, I wrote a book called Razor Sharp Nature Photography. This instantly downloadable ebook is only available on my website, imagelight.com. That's spelled I M A G E L I G H T.com. Go to the digital products page and download it and start using it today. The book covers all aspects of sharpness in nature photography. From what's the best shutter speed to use when using long telephoto lenses, to the effects of diffraction and a step-by-step -step of how to do focus stacking. Since it's an ebook, I've included large high-quality images that you can really enlarge and see the detail and the sharpness. This and much more is there for you in my book, Razor Sharp Nature Photography. As with all products purchased from my website, the support goes to helping me produce more episodes of the Nature Photography Podcast. So thanks in advance. I'll put a link into the show notes to make it easy to get access to getting a copy of Razor Sharp Nature Photography for yourself. Now, back to the outdoors. When you're shooting shorebirds, plan on getting dirty. By getting down in the sand, your background might end up being some contrasting background rather than reflective water as you shoot downward on those birds. By getting lower, you can change the background and also get to, or just below, that eye level of the subject and really make the shot one that you're going to want to share with others. Another solution might be to grab a pair of waders and get out in the water and shoot back towards the shoreline because this might give you a better angle and a better background. The color of the background is important as well. If you have a brown subject and you're in a brown background, then shift your position to maybe go from a brown background to a green one, for example. That color will create the contrast in your subject against where it's standing. It's mostly a, a good idea to separate your subject from the background, and a simple color change can do just that. Find a background with a contrasting color to your subject. It could be a real simple move that you should always be aware of and you should always try to explore. Now lastly, light can help you with your background. So let's go over the obvious first off. Let's say your subject is in full shade and your background's in full sun. You're exposing for your subject and the background blows out to almost white. So that kind of background can be very distracting. If you move just slightly, possibly the trees that are also in shade might make a more pleasing background. So look at that 
when you're getting ready to shoot. Check out the background of what it is you're trying to shoot and say, hey, can I move so I don't have that spotty light or can I move to this angle so that light is in shade? Always keep in mind that the human eye will drift towards the section of the image with the most contrast, usually the lighter areas of the frame. If you can hide a patch of sunlight somehow behind the subject or behind a tree or something by moving the camera to a better angle, then do it. It'll be a lot less distracting in the final image. As always, when you're out capturing wildlife images, get the shot first. Start refining your position and composition to improve as you take each shot. So that's this week's episode on the Nature Photography Podcast. I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, if you got any questions, email me, and I'll look forward to the next time we get together. This is Terry Vanderheiden, your host of the Nature Photography Podcast. <laughs>